Welcome to This Week in Lotus. The weekly roundtable discussion of all things social, collaboration, technology and community. Here's your host, Stuart McIntyre. This Week in Lotus, episode 49 for Tuesday, May 3rd, 2011. It's all about the stickiness. This show is a proud member of the Tech Podcast Network. If it's tech, it's here. You can find this and other tech-related podcasts at techpodcast.com. This Week in Lotus is sponsored by Audible, the destination for the widest selection of digital audiobooks available worldwide. Want to be well-read like Duffbert but just can't spare the time to read books on paper? Take an audiobook on your commute or whilst walking instead. We've got a special offer for you. Download and listen to a best-selling book every month for just $7.49 a month for the first three months and you can cancel at any time. Pick from over 85,000 audiobooks from business to classics to sci-fi or comedy. Go to thisweekinlotus.com slash audible for all the details. Hello and welcome to episode 49 of This Week in Lotus. I'm Stuart McIntyre and we're back for another week of roundtable discussion about Lotus software, IBM Collaboration Solutions and anything else that, that's in that kind of area. So I'm joined as usual by Darren Duke. Hi there Darren. Mr Stuart McIntyre, hello. Hello, how's your week been? It seems short, but it always seems short when we kind of a bit lackadaisical on the posting. <laughs> <laughs> it always seems... <laughs> It always seems like, oh, Twills just came out. Oh, we've got to record another Twill. So it always kind of screws me up a bit. I forgot it was Thursday until Lisa kicked me this morning. <laughs> it did make me laugh. Last week you said uh, about how you kind of fudged your way through production and, and how you're looking forward to me being back. And then I completely messed up choosing the wrong microphone <laughs> when we were recording last week. So sorry about the poor quality last week. Hopefully the discussion made up for it. So which which microphone are you using today? I'm back on the snowball again today. Uh, so it's got, loud and got. clear. Did I hear that you got tornadoes round your way? We did. Uh, luckily, they all missed Atlanta, the greater Atlanta area, which is a pretty big area. But uh, just to the west of us, probably two hours, Birmingham, Alabama, and then Tuscaloosa got pretty hit. There was a mile-wide tornado went through Tuscaloosa last night at rush hour uh-huh. as well, which is always a bad time. Okay, so sca- our thoughts are with all of our customers who live in the Alabama and Mississippi regions and in Tennessee as well. Absolutely. It just sounds horrific what went on there. So I uh, hope everybody is okay that listens to this podcast normally. Um, of course, over here in the UK, we're, uh, we're snowed under with news about the Royal Wedding tomorrow. It's the, the big event over here. We're going up to London to, to watch what we can of it. So it should be exciting. Um, it is. I think Lisa is actually getting up at four o'clock in the morning to really? watch it over here. I, I have absolutely no interest. I had no interest in 1981. The last thing I can remember is 1977. I'm sure my age now. I was probably like five or six, and that was the yeah. Queen's 25th coronation, I think, maybe. Yeah, that's right. So and I, 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 I vividly remember the street part. But that's probably the last of the big street parties I remember. Um, but yeah, the Americans, you know, for spending, you know, six years trying to kick us out, they, they really get into the royal weddings. 
Yeah, they do. Something like twice as many American journalists as British journalists are covering it in London this week. So, yeah, amazing coverage. But I'll, I'll report back on it next week and let you know how it went from our perspective. We're joined, as usual, by some um, experts from around the Lotus community for this podcast. Joined, first of all, by Eileen Fitzgerald. Hi there, Eileen. Hi, Stuart. How are you? Yeah, really good. Thank you. Thanks for taking time out to join us um, this week. Do you want to tell us who you work for and what you do there, Eileen? Definitely, and thanks for having me on the show. I really enjoy the show. Um, my name is Annie Fitzgerald. I'm in charge of customer service delivery and product management for GSX. Um, we produce products which help you monitor, manage the various disparate components of your collaboration portfolio. Um, we also provide a reporting tool on that. I'm going to put in a plug because we've got V10 coming out very, very shortly, and we're really excited by that. Oh, congratulations. So, no, well, if I make it to the end of the launch. <laughs> <laughs> you have to tell so, us about that a bit later on. We'll be asking you more about your products then, so you have to definitely. fill us in. You're also involved in some of the user groups as well, aren't you? Particularly iLug, but are you involved in UK, UK Lug as well? Yeah. Definitely. Um, myself and um, there's a huge crowd of us, as you all know. You're well familiar with Warren and Paul and Kitty. I can't, there are too many to name. Um, we do iLog and we do UK Log. So we've got UK Log coming up now at the end of May up in Manchester. And again, we're really looking forward to it. We have a lot of business partners, some fantastic speakers. You're heading up yourself, Stuart, aren't you? I am indeed, yeah, speaking. Excellent. The, yeah. And John, you're, you're one of the sponsors as well, correct? That's correct, yes. Looking forward to it. And you haven't been introduced yet. And GSX is a sponsor as well, so we're really looking forward to that now. There's a a lot of people attending as well. So it's going to be a great event. Um, Warren and Kitty are the main runners on that one. This year we toss it back and forth between UK Log and ILOG. Yeah, really looking forward to it. And it's 23rd and 24th of May, so coming up soon. And of course, that mellifluous voice—sorry, mellifluous voice—we just <laughs> heard belongs to um, to another member of the panel. Sorry about that. It's uh, John DiGiorgio. Hi there, John. Hi there, everyone. Hello. Good to be here with you. Yeah, it's great to have you on this week. So, um, do you want to tell us about your company, your products, and, and what you do there? Um, right. Well, I'm the CEO of Integra for Notes, and our Integra for Notes family of products help people take data out of notes. Um, and uh, principally push it to Excel, Word, and Symfony. And people usually use our products to improve the presentation of notes data, uh, reporting, improve analysis, and charting of notes data. Um, So that's what we do, and and we've got solutions both for developers to define uh, what we refer to as predefined reports, which are uh, reports for a known business process, Uh, as well as our Integra Quick Reports product, which allows end users to generate ad hoc reports um, uh, on their own. Um, So essentially without having to revert back to uh, Domino developers. Um, So that's what we do. Excellent. And I've seen you around at Lotus Spheres and other user events over the last few years. How long have you been working with Lotus Notes? Um, Since 1993. Um, so I'm, I'm, I think this year was Lotusphere number 15 for me personally, and we've exhibited our Integra for Notes product uh, there for the last 10 years. Excellent. And you're based in Malta, is that right? That's correct. What a wonderful place to be. I guess yes. you get out and do plenty of sailing and that kind of thing? 
That's absolutely right. Yes, that's my passion. So uh, uh, it's a lovely place to live to do to be able to do that from. Oh, wonderful. Well, thanks for taking time out to join us on the podcast today. It's great to have you both on board. Most welcome. Well, the focus for for this week's episode really is around ISVs. You know, both your companies are ISVs. Um, you know, we spoke to a number of of folks in that kind of area of the community over the the forty nine or so episodes of this week in Lotus. Um, I, I'm fascinated to find out a little bit more about how you kind of got into, or your companies got into being an ISV for IBM Lotus. So. Eileen, do you want to kick us off? What's the, what's the background of GSX? I mean, it, are, are you solely an IBM Lotus partner or do you have solutions for other people's products as well? Yeah, sure. Um, no, we're not solely IBM. We started off, uh, that's our principal, um, that's where we started and that's where the majority of our customers are focused in. Um, the company's about 15 years old at this stage and it, it originally started off as a one-product company with monitoring solutions for Lotus Domino. Then we expanded into the other facets, for example, same time, and then BlackBerry, we're Black Rim business partner as well. And then we added Exchange um, as well, so we're also a Microsoft business partner. What we look at is the collaboration portfolio, so the various different components. But I mentioned there that V10 is coming out shortly, which will also include um, Traveler and Quicker. So it's predominantly the domino, but also if you have other components such as Exchange, SharePoint, RIM, BlackBerry monitoring, you can chop and change. So that's how we get into that. We started off as a Lotus, but we work mainly with the, those three businesses. Okay, so so it sounds like Lotus is still pretty much the core of your business, but exactly. you also have solutions. Yeah. So, um, I mean... That's in terms of products. In in terms of you know sales, I'm not looking for a detailed breakdown, but but you would still see IBM as oh, being a real core partner of your business. Exactly, IBM is our core partner. It's where it's where the basis of all of our um, customers are. Um, the vast majority of our customers would be IBM and Domino customers, predominantly, and um, also in terms of the range of products that we support. For example, we get Sameton, we've got Quicker, Domino, Traveler. That is most of our product focus, and that is our primary marketplace. Excellent. And uh, John, I mean, what's the situation for you? How did you get into being an IBM partner, and is it is it still the core of your business working with IBM? Um, no, I, I, we've got a slightly different story to uh, Eileen's. Um, the notes and whole collaboration space uh, of our business is actually about 10% of what we do as a business. Um, so we started doing other things. Um, we brought uh, notes into the business back in 1993. Um, but we're a 27-year-old company, so we were doing lots of stuff before. And um, the uh, side of our business, which is the non-notes or the non-collaboration side, um, has uh, continued to be our main focus and is also currently growing at even higher rates than the notes side of the business. I'm pleased to say that the notes side of the business is, uh, is growing um, and, and growing well, but the rest of what we do is growing um, even more rapidly. And... Um, what we do as our core um, within within our business is we develop solutions for the retail, finance, and inventory uh, side of businesses, mainly for for the SMB market, 
Um, and we also have a specialism in developing solutions for the freight industry. And obviously those are not on the Notes and Domino platform. That's typically a .NET uh, SQL uh, type of uh, environment. Um, and um, that, that is really the core of what we do. We always branded Integra uh, distinct from the rest of what we do as a company. In fact, our, the company that owns Integra is called Sherbin Software. Um, and uh, we've always intentionally branded Integra as a separate part, um, basically to, to build a brand uh, independently of what we do within the rest of the business. Um, so that, that's where we stand uh, in that area. And we, and we got into the notes and domino um, field mainly because we were uh, reselling uh, Lotus software, um, which we started doing back in 1990. And um, I recall seeing a presentation of Lotus Notes in April of 1993. I can distinctly remember when uh, that was. Um, and um, as soon as I saw the product, I realized that a, a big project that we just completed for uh, a customer uh, here in Malta was really made obsolete uh, by what we were seeing uh, the capabilities of Notes and Domino um, brought. And in fact, what we did was uh, a few years later, we actually redeveloped that, that, that same application for that customer um, as a Notes application. Um, and they've been using that uh, since then. Um, so that's, that's sort of how we got into the Notes and Domino uh, space. Can so, I just... Go, go on, Arlene. I just wanted to add on to that because we're talking about the word growth. Um, and again, just to reiterate, because I made a point about how we're adding in new modules of, for support for Traveller, for Quaker, for Same Time 8.5, um, and also the growth area. There's not a lot of negativity out there at the moment in terms of growth opportunities. And I'm seeing with our customers, and again, we, we put in a huge investment into expanding our product range in the Domino, the IBM, the Domino um, portfolio, collaboration portfolio, in terms of ex enhancing existing products, and also we're launching new products into that area. And from a customer's perspective, there seems to be a huge amount of interest in actually expanding um, the tool set that they use. There's a very strong entrenched, as, as you stated earlier on, Stuart, are the majority of our customers, our core marketplace, our original marketplace, are our domino customers. And they seem firmly entrenched in that area and are actively interested in new products in this area. Now, there's hoping all of the interest actually does convert into growth, <laughs> but at the moment there seems to be a lot of interest and um, positive feedback regarding the future and the direction. So I just thought I'd throw that in there in terms of the investment into the market and also the investment in the continued growth areas and opportunities. Now I have a question for, for John, and that, that was you mentioned the word SMB, and it always kind of makes me smirk when, when I hear IBM say that because I think they have a different idea of what SMB means to literally everybody else on the planet. Absolutely. Um, so, so, so what would your definition of, of what you term an SMB be? Well, I, I agree with you 100% in terms of the IBM definition is, is um, not a very useful one uh, for us. When, when you're 
um, when you're based in a place like Malta, of course, the term SMB takes on an even uh, more restricted um, interpretation in the sense that we would consider someone here with 100 users and upwards as actually being beyond SMB. Um, that's because of the nature of our market here. So, so we would typically look at the SMB market as being uh, probably an organization with up to 100 people um, in terms of uh, using the, the, the technology. Um, that's the sort of level that we go in at. And, and the other thing I want to I want to mention about about Integra is I was actually on a call a couple of days ago with a customer of mine and we we're talking about it, and and he mentioned he was blown away by the value that you guys provide as a price point. So congratulations on that. <laughs> Thanks. Good to hear that. Always. How how does that work being based in Malta, John? Does that make a, a difference in terms of how you deal with your customers, how you find your customers? Um, how we deal with our customers, I would say no. Um, in the sense that we're very, very well located. We, we have customers um, globally, so literally from sort of New Zealand all the way to uh, West Coast, U.S. and Canada. Um, and th we actually serve 19 time zones, and we're very well placed here because we're exactly in the middle of the 19 time zones. So, so <laughs> It was um, planned. That's why you live in Maldives. <laughs> uh, absolutely. Nothing yeah. to do with the sailing. <laughs> um, so we, we literally are halfway across our customer base, although, of course, most of our customers are um, in North America. Um, it's actually quite reasonable to be able to service a customer with a six or nine hour um, uh, difference. And of course, because the distribution of notes customers seems to be disproportionately based on the East Coast more than the West Coast, we're actually dealing with a greater number of customers within a six-hour um, uh, time frame. So it's quite manageable from that, from that perspective. And, of course, the technology that we have available to us, as we're using today, uh, makes the whole process a lot uh, easier. In terms of finding our customers or interacting with our customers, it is a bit more difficult, I have to say, in the sense that uh, turning up at events like you know, we were at Belog, a very successful event uh, run in Belgium uh, last month where Eileen and, and, and I last mm -hmm. met. Um, yeah. And uh, obviously we're, we're, we're in UK Lug uh, in, uh, in May. And our attendance at these events tends to be a bit more difficult in the sense that most people just get into a car and drive to an event. We always have to fly um, uh, to places. So it does make our costs um, a bit more difficult. But Malta is very well located and very well connected uh, in terms of uh, flights and availability. So um, it's pretty much just as easy for us to get anywhere. Once you have to get onto a plane, as Eileen knows, she seems <laughs> yeah. to live on planes. Once you have to get onto a plane, whether it's a two-hour flight or a three-hour flight, doesn't actually make any difference. Yeah, it doesn't. You're spending more time at the airports rather than the trip itself. Yeah. I had somebody the other day said to me, um, it was a difference between a three-hour flight or a seven-hour flight. And my comment was, that makes absolutely no difference whatsoever. Because once you're on the plane, you're on the plane. So I can... a day either way. Exactly. Absolutely. Yeah. And how about you, Eileen? Uh, you're obviously based in Ireland. Where are the rest of GSX and, and how do you work with them? 
Um, we have our head offices in Geneva, we have the development offices in Nice, and we have our US offices in Buffalo, New York. So, as John said, I do spend a huge, if I'm, I tend to be, I'm supposed to be 50%, but with the run-up to um, the product launch, I've been doing a huge amount of travel this year. So, I spend a week, about a week, a month in Nice with the development team, and obviously we have our meetings with quarterly management meetings, and also spend some time in the US. So, and again, it's technology. And once you have your laptop and once you have a headset, um, I can take calls and I've done it, WebExes, um, screen shares, same times with customers anywhere and time zone differences. And I, so, I, am seeing a, I am seeing a common denominator here and that is all of the ISVs seem to live on the Mediterranean. <laughs> <laughs> I think me, me, me and Stu are in the wrong business. We We've got it wrong, haven't we? <laughs> <laughs> the best kept secret. Yeah, um, I'm still trying to work out how I can how I can work out to do a business trip to see John and Malta. <laughs> well, we did meet in the south of France last summer. Uh, that's um, true. Both that's I true. and myself were there at the same time, so yeah. we do meet up. Actually, yeah. that's one. That's one of the great things about our community, which. I don't know about anyone else, but certainly the other communities we form a part of uh, haven't got anything like this. But the camaraderie and friendship that um, one finds uh, in this community is something which is really extraordinary. Um, and sort of we, we, we look out for each other beyond, mm -hmm. beyond our business contacts um, when, when we're on our travels. And that's a lovely thing to see. Yeah, I agree, actually. There is, because um, I've been in this community now for many more years than I care to actually mention and um, we've made some great friends in it and definitely the community there is a very big social and friendly aspect everybody does look out for everybody else so that's a very I, good side to it yeah. actually I wanted to add something on that uh, Stuart if I can pick you up on a blog post um, that I read of yours post, uh, post Lotusphere um, which was a very interesting one, and you were, you were mentioning this sort of community and how perhaps IBM doesn't understand the full extent to which it is actually a community. Um, and um, that, was, that, that was a point that you had mentioned in your uh, blog post um, uh, after, after Lotusphere. Uh, I'm, I'm not convinced, maybe when we get into the whole IBM and ISV side, we can discuss this um, further. But, um, you know, there were some things that you were mentioning in your, in your blog post as stuff that didn't matter or, um, you know, sort of uh, um, the conversations are being moved on from messaging, et cetera, et cetera. It'd be interesting to pick up um, that discussion point when we talk about the whole ISV um, uh, side of things. Okay, well, I mean, let, let's move on to that now, John, and thanks for mentioning my post. Um, I mean... You guys have both been around the community for a long while, Darren and I have as well. And it, it's kind of, it feels like we're going through a little bit of a transition point between, you know, us having the, the name and the brand Lotus that we all kind of associate ourselves to it being more of an IBM brand thing. We also seem to be moving a little bit from it being a messaging and collaboration and application development conversation to it also to it being more of a social business conversation. So we're kind of in a, in a, transient period how does that map out to to your own both experience today with your products and selling them to your customers and also how you plan for the future Eileen do you want to pick that up as, as a tools vendor how, how do you kind of see this mapping out as you move towards other areas of the Lotus portfolio 
Um, it's actually interesting. I'm just wondering whether I've been in, in you know, I won't go into how many years, but I've noticed that I actually had this conversation with somebody earlier on today is social business. What is the difference between a collaboration platform and a social business platform? Is it the terminology or is there an actual key differentiation between them? In terms of, if you take it, just to get back to John's conversation there, in terms of the community, um, I've noticed a big difference in the past two years, and maybe it's because it's only been in the two years I've actually been in the business partner side, whereas before that I was managing the platform in a company, uh, that this year at Lotusphere there was huge focus on the ISVs, there was the product managers were very, very accessible, there was a lot of support from senior people in IBM for getting access to resources within IBM to help e um, evolve the product line. And also there's a new strategy set up with Joyce Davis and Mary Beth Raven yep. in terms of utilizing the community for business purposes in a social business and social interaction way. So I think that those initiatives are actually very, very exciting, especially with the focus. I sound like a bit of a fan... Fan, I was going to say fanboy, fangirl here. But, um, you know, it's like, we need to be the fanboy. But um, fan I'm person. really a fan person. There we go, politically correct. I'm a fan person. Um, I'm really interested to see, uh, because I think both Joyce and Mary Beth Raven are incredibly enthusiastic and giving to the community. Yeah. Um, so I'm really, exactly, I'm really, really interested to see what comes out of that and also really interested in catching up with them at UK Look to actually sit down and have a conversation about that. So in terms of the platform, um, we wouldn't be in business if customers didn't view their collaboration platforms as business critical, i.e. monitoring the availability, the reporting aspect, etc., etc. And we're seeing a huge interest in, again, the same time, the quicker... Um, more and more demands on availability, being able to monitor availability. And you mentioned earlier on to me ITIL in yeah. terms of the focus on ensuring that not just that the server is up and running, but the quality of service it's delivering. Because collaboration platforms are different in that it's response times, service availability, ease of use, all of these are critically important to the success of the platform. So, yeah, we're seeing big demands in that as well. So it's a bit of a convoluted answer, but I hope that responds to your question. It does indeed. And and when you speak to customers, do you see kind of the, the traditional and the new products, you know, say let's take Notes and Domino and, and Connections, do you think customers see those as part of the same portfolio with the same kind of DNA embedded in them? So they just see it as managing their collaboration infrastructure or or do you see customers dealing with them in a different way or, or, or thinking about them differently in, in terms of the, their requirements for managing those platforms? Um, differently from what? Well, I'm, I'm just... Um, from I'm, previously or from other applications? Well, well, say they've had Notes and Domino for, you know, 10, 20 years in their organization and they're now yeah. rolling out connections or quicker or, uh, you know, or some of those, mm -hmm. you know, same time 85, for example. It, it's easy to think of them as being, you know, Domino NSF and uh, WebSphere based and then kind of separating them in that way. Do you see customers thinking of them very differently or do you just see customers coming to you saying, we need to manage our, our Lotus, you know, infrastructure? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Can you make that easier for me? 
I see a difference. Um, in terms of, there's two levels of difference. One is in terms of how people view operations and operational management. And two is how they view operational management of collaboration platforms. So the difference I've seen both from being internal in organizations and also now being external to organizations, if you like, in operational management is that there's much bigger realization on having control of the environment in terms of variancing between availability and service availability. Um, which is an idle concept, but it's really, really expanding an awful lot in terms of, again, it's not enough to know that your service is up and running, but is it delivering the service to the business that it's supposed to? So I see a lot of operation managers are struggling with the conflicting demands of that in terms of it's not just black and white. Okay, my server was available by, you know, it was up 24 hours last week. This is what is expected of me. Yes, but mail routing wasn't working. So you have to dig deeper and you have to identify what are the services that you're expected to deliver. And then you have to be able to monitor and report on those services. So that's the difference I see from an operational perspective in terms of they need more justification in the quality of service delivery to the business, not just black and white um, hardware metrics. And secondly, then in terms of the collaboration platform, their additional um, complexities associated with that versus a traditional application because a traditional application has a set of functions that it performs. So if you've got a business, a CRM application, it has a limited set of functions that it performs. So once you take it out, there's only so much you can actually, you know, there are only so many different ways you can use the product. Whereas with collaboration tools, that by nature they're designed to be flexible to meet the collaboration requirements of the organization and end users can be terribly terribly invented inventive in how they use these tools to meet their business requirements so operations people are also struggling in the collaboration environment to know what's going on in their environment and how people are using tools and has somebody set up a mailing list um, that will email a hundred mix spreadsheet to five hundred people once a day. <laughs> Sorry, know? I won't do that again. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> you know? I mean, I think that's the one classic example we can all actually relate to, in terms of how you know it's it's and again it's it, it's very basic. Okay, it's like monitoring your disk space, getting alerts that your disk space is suddenly gone and your <laughs> system's about to crash. Um, and this. So tying the two of them together, and then I'll stop because this is one of the things, my keys is differentiating between SLAs and KPIs. For example, your SLA is that your server is available, um, but a server never crashed with the root cause. It, the root cause was the server wasn't available. It ran out of disk space or it ran out of CPU. So I see operation managers um, are very much coming to the realization that it's not enough to just react to a broken SLA, they have to track the KPIs that could impact on those, that SLA and track those. I, I agree. I, I ask a lot of people, what's your alerting system? And their answer is my users. It's like, really? <laughs> and you wonder why people yeah. significantly dislike you? <laughs> oh, Darren, send them my way. I'll have a chat with them. <laughs> <laughs> 
I think I think you made some really interesting points there, Wally, in terms of sort of you know far greater kind of granularity of management, and also focusing on on actually what the tools do for the users and monitoring and managing that versus just just them treating them as IT operations uh, sort of aspects. So that, that's really good conversation. And and John, over to you in terms of you know this kind of transition between you know traditional and and social business type topics. How do you see that playing out for you? Have you got any kind of focus on on where IBM is going with social business or or for you and Integra for Notes is it just all about the the Domino Notes platform for now? Now as far as Integra uh, for Notes is concerned specifically it is uh, a notes uh, focused uh, product and that that is where our core focus is uh, with the product Um, but um, I I, you know was interested to hear um, Eileen talking about social business, is it just terminology, is there a difference between collaboration, social business, etc., etc. And, and clearly there are um, some very specific differences. Um, but the problem we've always had, um, both as a community and um, as, as IBM, is actually being able to very, very clearly bring across the um, the positioning and the value of our offering. I think if you look at Notes and Dominoes specifically, um, it's a great uh, story in terms of a negative story, unfortunately, of our ability in total, both, both, both the IBM side and the community, to actually really bring the whole value of what Notes and Domino um, uh, has been able to bring to people in its, uh, in its lifespan. Um, and in fact, this really brings me back to the point I was making about your uh, blog post, um, which, which I do, by the way, recommend that you relink to the uh, uh, to the notes of this discussion because I think it's useful for people to read it. Um, but you were looking at some of the bare facts, and if I can just uh, read some um, of it, very, very, there were three bullet points where you said, you know, whether the Lotus Notes and brand name and brand exist in five years doesn't matter. Whether the portal is or isn't an exceptional web, web experience doesn't matter. Whether IBM advertises product or not doesn't matter. Then, in bold, you wrote, the only thing that should matter is whether IBM technologies can do a valuable job for our organizations or for our customers. And round, right now, that's a resounding yes. Mm-hmm. Um, where, whereas I agree with you, yes, it is a resounding yes. There definitely is the value there. I'm not sure whether I would agree, I'm actually pretty sure that I don't agree actually, that the only thing that should matter is whether the technologies provide a valuable job. Because really the credibility of the environment uh, is also extremely important Mm. because customers, uh, customers of of IBM and thus customers of ours as ISVPs, need to have um, a, uh, a credible belief that the platform is going where it really is going, does offer the value that it really does um, offer. Um, and I think this is where, perhaps in recent years, we've um, lost um, a bit of uh, traction um, in the sense the whole credibility of the platform has been attacked very successfully by, by the competition um, I would also say very unfairly by the competition. Mm-hmm. Agreed. Um, and that's really a very important side. What the product actually does, the product set in the, in the broad sense, uh, is able to bring to the party is obviously crucial, but there needs to be that, that whole credibility. 
Um, and, and I think that's where uh, it's been, uh, we've been suffering uh, a bit uh, recently. Um, I would, however, like to um, fully agree with what uh, Eileen was saying in the sense that, you know, there are um, initiatives which are going on um, by IBM at a corporate level, which are very important. But if you actually look at the individuals who, and, you know, Eileen mentioned um, a, a couple of people who are uh, absolute champions in this area. Mm -hmm. But, of course, there are many more people than that yeah. who really do give to the community a tremendous amount. Um, but, but it's hard. It's hard because dealing with an organization the size of IBM, realistically, whatever the goodwill of the individual IBMers um, uh, may be, um, it is actually very hard to deal with an organization the size of IBM. And, it, and it, it takes time for it to move and to react. And, you know, you feel the frustration of um, many of the people that we deal with, the individuals within the organization, that things don't happen at a, at a faster rate or in a slightly different direction or whatever it may be would be relevant in that, in that, in that area. Um, so, you know, we, we, we have an uphill battle because of this whole credibility uh, side. Um, so I think, you know, talking about the positioning, talking about the marketing, the advertising, the et cetera, et cetera, I still think that that's an important thing to be going on um, within, within the community. Actually, that references, sorry, that references directly a blog post chain that's going on at the moment about marketing. And I think Paul Mooney kicked into it Correct. Um, yeah. to reference some of the work that Darren Adams has done as well. Absolutely. Well, oh, notes is cool. Sorry, Darren. Yeah. No, I was just going to say, Darren would be one of the people who I would put out there with people like Mary Beth and, and you exactly. know. Exactly, yeah. I don't want to keep naming people because I'll... I'll be leaving people out, but yeah. we, you know, yeah. I think we all know who they are. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, no, agreed. And, and I, you know, Stop I would it. definitely echo that in, in that there's, you know, a number of key individuals that are really trying their very hardest. But Ed Brill, you know, in in that category, that nobody could fault his effort and his commitment to to improving. I think, you know, my blog post goes back to perception, perception of, you know, IBM's focus on on what was lotus in terms of its focus on regaining the kind of high ground in the marketplace that perhaps it's lost because of some of that kind of negative competition that we've had from other people um and and as isvs that that must almost um you know impact your business in a even bigger way than it does for perhaps darren and i as partners because you know if if you don't if ibm doesn't have those customers out there using lotus technology then you won't have you know the sales for your products and therefore you know it, it must be tremendously challenging for you to kind of keep those relationships with IBM going and kind of keep abreast of, of where they're going with some of their marketing and some of their product development in, in terms of making sure you stay current with your products? Um, from a product perspective um, again we've had huge cooperation from the product managers in that perspective um, and interactions and accessibility which has been very much welcome, um, but likewise as well from, I would say from a marketing perspective, in terms of, I'm predominantly with product de development, but it can be confusing hmm. sometimes to um, keep up with everything. I if um, I know Stuart, you're an average, avid Twitterer. Indeed. Exactly. Um, 
And I just find it information overload. It's fantastic, but it's just information overload because um, there's so many ways of keeping up. Like you can keep up with everything that's going on on Twitter. You've got this Facebook page, that Facebook page. It's like the ultimate social interaction. I, we still have business partner information coming in via email, trying to keep up with all of the blog posts and sort out the relevance. Um, there is a huge amount of information out there, both in a formal capacity, i.e. along the business partner um, formal line, and also the informal um, via Twitter, Facebook, um, blog posts, etc., etc. And it is difficult to keep up. And also to sort out what is critical to you and relevant to you versus finding out afterwards. I do find that a major challenge from a product development perspective because you can't do everything. And especially seeing as we focus on the collaboration portfolio and we've got multiple different Lotus products um, that we monitor, it's a question of well, what do we focus on, what do we prioritize? So sorting out what is the next best thing and it can be very challenging. Let, let me step back a bit to, to what, what John was saying uh, about a lack of direction, maybe for, from IBM. My, my point of view here is IBM have just as much to blame here than, than their competitors attacking them. Because since about R6, IBM sat on their hands and didn't react to any statements. And you know, as an analogy, there's a rather famous person in the United States called Barack Obama, who yesterday pulled out his birth certificate because for the past three years, there has been FUD, for want of a better word, saying he wasn't a U.S. citizen. And yeah. the, the pressure of negative press, despite if it's true or false, and in both cases it's false, if you don't do anything, it continues to be, like Stuart said, a perception which in turn turns into a belief. And if IBM continued to do nothing, and Lotus Nose looked like it was going to be something, but it turns out it was actually more of a flash in the pan. Um, but if IBM continued to do nothing about this and sit on their hands and don't respond to this, then they've really got no one else to blame but themselves. And the fact that they neglected the product for so long, I think is going to take a lot of time to repair the damage. So do you think getting rid of the Lotus brand, or are we veering into actually, let's say, getting rid of the, the branding issue where, where it's being absorbed into IBM social business tools versus the actual Lotus branding? Do you think that's a I, good thing? Or, yeah? So I, I think as a whole, it's no secret that the Lotus word stops a lot more sales than it creates. Having said that, I think there is value in a brand and there is value in a name you can turn it around hyundai used to be synonymous with cheap crap cars and it took them 15 years but last year they won car of the year at the detroit auto show so you can turn a brand around it just takes a lot of time and a lot of money both of which i don't think ibm want to invest because they've got quarterly numbers they have to hit so and if it's not going to pay dividends in that side of 12 weeks, then they're not going to really do a lot with it. 
and so they're not going to spend any money outside of advertising on maybe the smarter planet, which I have no idea what that is. <laughs> but the moment you change the name, you are going to cause yourself, at least in the short to midterm, just as many problems as you're hoping to fix. And my guess is that the Get Social Roadshows, the event formerly known as Lotusphere Comes to You, my guess and I haven't heard this publicly, but I've heard a few people who have attended them, are uh, in the realm of woefully attended this year. And my guess is because they changed the name. So people are getting emails like, what's this voodoo? I'm not going about crap. Because they've changed the name. And now you're going to have to start again to build the perception around something else. So you're going to have to spend the money and the time somewhere or else all of this is for naught. Well, on that point... Oh, sorry. Thank you, I, I, I was just going to say, I mean, this, this is also partly, uh, Darren, the same sort of argument with the product name changes that have happened on a regular basis um, over, over the years. Mm -hmm. it's, it's the same sort of problem. And, and I, I don't think there's anything intrinsically wrong with changing a product or a brand if you do it in the right way you know there's been loads of situations in the past where other brands and other industries have changed but they typically if they're done successfully they're accompanied by a big splurge of marketing and advertising and communication to make sure that change is done properly and make sure the reasons for that change are, are well understood I, I don't think it's been done very well in this case because it's been done so kind of silently and and without ever being vocalized by anybody even at Lotusphere, it wasn't clearly stated that was what was happening yeah i think doing that... well you just have to throw a lot of money at it and the example i like to throw out is essentia right arthur anderson were not a dog turd on anyone's shoe after the enron scandal <laughs> they changed their name they hired tiger woods and until tiger woods caused his own problems but up until that point <laughs> you know Accenture took off again and they threw an awful lot of money at the rebranding and no one today equates Accenture with arthur anderson on any level so it can be done and that's the quick way to do it is change your name throw a ton of money at it the hyundai, hyundai example is a different way yeah but do you think that the brand, the Lotus brand, is... We'll get back to John's original topic because it's about the perception um, and the perception out there. So changing it to IBM Social Business instead of Collaboration Tools, will that improve that perception? I think adding the name IBM to everything gives it credence in the Fortune 500 of a global 1,000. I think... For my normal customer that is, you know, 500 person or less, they really don't give a rat's ass if it's Lotus or whether it's IBM. So my, my guess is here, it's it's really to change the perception of the Fortune 1000. And, and I think it all goes back to a, a services play. Because if I can't sell, let's say, Lotus Connections into, you know, XYZ Megacorp because it has the word Lotus in it, I'm, I, I lose a lot of revenue in, in, in sales and seats. But IBM ISSL probably lose a boatload, probably in the realm of five to seven times more in services. So by removing the name and squishing it together, that gives my sales force, if I were to have one, which is a different conversation, <laughs> it gives my sales force now the option to go in and sell a product that is maybe not going to get cut down by the first person that says, oh, isn't that, I used Lotus Notes 4.6 at my old organization and it sucked. Or it gets away from that conversation. So I think it's a it's a pure money play. And I think 
the likes of Mike Roden addressing this up as, as a sheep that's not really what they say it is, which is, oh, it's got multiple products in, so that's why we're calling it that. That's sort of tosh. Um, but it, it's going to be difficult either way. But the problem is IBM sat on their hands for like at least half a decade, maybe even a decade, and ignored all of the hand grenades that the likes of Microsoft and Oracle were thrown this way. And so when you ignore or don't respond for that amount of time, it becomes an urban myth. And it's true. It doesn't matter what you prove to me. I'm going to believe it's true. And I think that's the reason why at some point they have to rebrand it or spend an awful lot of money, you know, pumping into the brand. And I think the Lotus Nose campaign, I don't think there was a lot of money there. I think there's a lot less money there than everyone thought. But I think they looked at the change in perception numbers and thought, you know what, there's no point to rule this out worldwide. Let's just do something else. And I think they give up mid midway through. That's certainly my belief of, of what happened because, you know, even in the UK, which is one of the three or four major countries for Lotus Nose, it was, you know, flash in the pan. It was Wimbledon. It was during the World Cup. And then there's been nothing since. So, and, and of course, you have to question the, the logic of having a big campaign the year before you change the brand. So I guess it wasn't terribly joined up thinking in terms of that rebranding <laughs> following that campaign. 12 weeks, baby. 12 weeks. <laughs> <laughs> So, um, Arlene and John, I mean, uh, whatever we think of that rebranding, whatever we think of IBM's management of the Lotus portfolio, your companies are both committed to to it as an ISV. Um, Is there anything that IBM could do to make it easier to partner with them, to make it easier for ISVs to come on board? If there was a a startup developing developing some kind of tool that, you know, what would convince them to to do it on Lotus? What could IBM do to make uh, being an ISV for for IBM Lotus more uh, appealing than it currently is today? Do you want to take that, Eileen? Um, Yeah, I can start off. Um... I think the size of the organization can be very confusing. And so I think just to make it easy is instead of, instead for a brand, let's say you get a brand new partner coming onboarding at the moment. Um, it's I've been in this industry for so long now at this stage that I know it, but it can be very, very daunting to try, if you're coming on board, to try and work out who does what, who to talk to, where to go to to get information, um, and the sources of information. So maybe if you're onboarding a new business partner, having a single point of contact for that um, global so that you don't have one in one region, another in another region, et cetera, et cetera, because we're a global organization as well. And we have, I've found it very difficult if I'm in one region, it's one, it's, it's a very disparate organization. So even within IBM, it's done differently in the UK than it is in France, than it is in Geneva, etc. Um, but as I said, and it's like the fangirl here, in terms of the accessibility has been fantastic. And the, um, the interactions as well at the logs has been absolutely excellent. And being able to, the fact that IBM sent Meet the Developers to the logs from a business partner perspective is fantastic because you don't have to go to Lotus before you go into the forum and meet the developer labs. You can actually interact and meet with them and it gives you access to very, very technical people and you get an awful lot of problems solved exceptionally quickly. 
So that would just be sometimes I can, can I find it a bit confusing with not only the different business layers of IBM, but also sometimes the different geographical yeah. contacts. Okay. On, on, on the issue of accessibility, uh, I would absolutely agree with uh, Eileen. If you actually look at the sort of level of people who are made accessible by IBM at these lugs, um, we're talking about you know absolutely the top people in the in in yeah. in the company in their mm -hmm. particular uh, sphere. So uh, for an ISV, it's actually pretty easy to get in touch with the right people from uh, at that sort of fairly high level. I think the problem that we have, um, and, and here I'm speaking specifically on the Integra for Notes uh, um, experience that we have, um, our particular product um, really enhances the value of Notes within an organization. Because, because Notes has always had a problem in terms of never addressing the issue of reporting, charting, analysis, whatever it may be. What we actually do is we bring to the party um, improvements to customers' experience so that they're actually getting their data in a format which is better presented, looks, looks uh, sexier, so to speak, um, and, and therefore enhances the value that people are getting out of their notes environment. So really what very often happens is that we tend to make notes more sticky within an organization. Because there may be people within an organization saying, uh, these views don't look great, I don't get the data the way I want it, et cetera, et cetera. And we can alleviate that problem for the organization and therefore for the, for the end user. And as a result, it tends to improve the end user's experience using notes and particularly specific notes applications. So uh, notes is more likely to be retained within an organization. However, if you actually speak to an IBM sales rep, um, because of the way they are compensated, they actually have no interest, realistically, mm. in keeping the product in there because they, they are compensated based on new licenses or new services that they're selling into a, into a customer rather than retention of revenue. Um, and th there are some experience, there are some exceptions. So, um, you know, sort of, we, we, we do deal with some IBM sales rep, reps who are actually saying, well, my customer can benefit, so let me get you in front of my customer. Rather than saying, I'm not going to make any money out of this, therefore, you know, I'm, mm -hmm. I'm just going to be looking elsewhere. And, and this is actually a, a, a problem, which is maybe more specific to us because we sell to the installed base. But in terms of if you say, what can IBM do to help us as an ISV, it's actually trying to address this issue. And it's very difficult for me to say, and the way to address it is this way. Mm. But certainly it's yeah. something to do with compensation. Um, compensation based on retention of revenue is actually also very, very important um, rather than just trying to uh, build new customers and new licenses into an organization. So I think if, if, you, if IBM were in a position to improve the stickiness of notes within an organization through its sales reps, I think that, that would help uh, the industry in general. It's an excellent point, Joe. I completely and yeah. utterly agree. It mm -hmm. is 
unfathomable that an IBM, a lot of sales rep, because a lot of sales reps don't get comped on renewals, but some of the IBM client reps do. It's really confusing. IBM needs to give a, a matrix to a partner so they know exactly who they've got to put it up. Um, but the, the long and the short of it is, you know, I, I don't know if there's a belief out there that, oh, well, if they move, then I can sell them notes net new again and get them back on, an, on, a, on a, what we call a D-skew as opposed to an E-skew, which is renewal. And, and there just seems to be an innate ability to not really give a rat's ass about whether a company stays on their product or not. And you've, you know, it's, it's not rocket science here, but it costs 10 times more or five times more to get a new client than it does to keep an existing one. So, you know, instead of seeing all of these move stories that Google and Microsoft like to publish, but IBM never liked to publish for some obscure reason, you know, why, why not funnel some resources into keeping them on there and, and don't just comp the renewal reps because the renewal reps are like Rottweilers. They go after the customers for any little thing. You know, there's got to be a whole hard look. I agree with John. There's got to be a, 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 a complete look at how these set of products are sold because the same thing is going to happen in three to five years for, for connections and quicker and whatever the product du jour is even then. And, and actually, even if the focus is on these new products, you're far more likely to sell them into existing customers if you've looked after the customer, you know, make, make sure they're on their renewals, make sure you're offering them value throughout the lifetime of the products they use rather than just selling them something you know, at the end of fourth quarter and then disappearing for a year. So, so I think you know, even where IBM's focus is on selling new stuff, I think they've got to compensate people for actually keeping the customers happy one way or another. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. So just a very, very quick uh, question to finish off this topic. Um, a, a topic du jour that we had kind of before Christmas, I guess it was, 2010. We talked about um, app stores an awful lot and whether that would make a difference to ISVs and application developers. Just very quickly, did, would it make a difference to either of your companies if there was a sophisticated kind of IBM catalogue you could put your products in or, or even if there was a real app store that customers could download your products from to run on the latest platforms? Isn't that supposed to be the greenhouse? Well, there is a catalogue in the greenhouse, yeah. but it's not terribly well done, I, w- I would say. But, you know, would you, would you see it, any impact on your business if they did it better or, or did it differently? Well, obviously, if there was a catalogue out there that was well advertised, that was uh, distributed to IBM customers. So an IBM customer would say, OK, um, I need a monitoring and reporting tool or a standard service request tool. Oh, look, GSX has them. Um Obviously, but, but surely yeah. the catalogue does that, Eileen. I mean, I, I think when you look at an app store, an app store is not just a catalogue, is it? Mm-hmm. I mean, it's 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 a way of uh, presenting a very smooth way to purchase a particular product, and and you know we're all familiar with the with with the app stores out there, particularly mm-hmm. the Apple one, which is really about convenience. Yeah, no, um, I think it, there's two aspects to it. One is, as Stuart said, the catalogue is kind of hidden in the greenhouse. Uh, so you have to log in to get it, um, and it's not a lot of people know about it, I, unless it's just me. I get the impression that not a lot of people know about it. It's not uh, just you. <laughs> okay, so, so that's what I, that's what I meant there, John. Was that if it was mm. if it was well known, more visible, yeah. Yeah, more visible, more accessible? Yes, obviously, it would be a huge benefit because it's another way of getting um, your product name out there and getting more exposure to what your product actually does. Um, 
Likewise, App Store, obviously, if they're, if it's easier for customers to locate and purchase your product and it's profitable for you, yes, definitely, the easier the better. I mean, the trouble, the, yeah. well, I was just going to mention that the trouble with the App Store approach is it's um, appropriate, I think, for certain types of products and possibly less appropriate for others. Um, so, for instance, it's probably more appropriate for our type of products than it would be for, for the GSX product range, I would suspect, because there is a certain amount of complexity involved in the whole sale process and um, the positioning. It's, you know, you're, you're not buying a little tool to do um, uh, something fairly minor. This is, a good, this is quite a major uh, decision, not just in terms of investment, but also the uh, choices that you're making going down for one tool rather than another. Um, and I think the, um, the, the, the whole App Store approach, people have got used to, you know, buying products for a couple of dollars um, uh, type of uh, approach with an App Store, which in itself um, is not so appropriate for most of the products that I think are out there as ISV products for the notes environment. Mm, I would say, yeah, I know you have a very valid point. I think as an introduction to a product, if somebody wants to go out and, let's say, locate and get a trial, um, it's a great way of doing it. But the long more, the more engaged, then you would have to have an engagement in terms of a decision criteria from a company, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, regarding their infrastructure. What are the various components? So you actually have a valid point there about the point of purchase. If there's an app store out there where it makes it very, very easy to locate and download a product for trial purposes, agreed. But so then just for giggles. Oh, sorry, yeah. Alan, go ahead. No, carry on, carry on. Just for giggles, I just, I just Googled Lotus App Store. And the first post that looks like it points to the catalog on Greenhouse is one and a half pages in and it's actually a blog post that references this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> so, Definitely could be better communicated then. Yeah, I'm 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 half I'm you know I'm, I'm on the page three and I still don't see any actual greenhouse.lows.com and it may be because it's secure it can't be it can't be crawled by Google which you know if 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 I can't find an app store does an app store really exist right it's the whole tree in the woods kind of idea again sure oh well we'll, we'll keep on pressing for this and asking people and we'll see whether IBM ever take us up on it I think there's definitely a, a requirement even if it's not particularly well um, kind of described at the moment so let's let's rattle on through uh, the news of the week we'll, we'll do this and then get on to our tips first of all a couple of uh, research in motion rim stories this week first of all they acquired Tungle which is a service that I've used an awful lot since I guess Lucifer last year when it was really announced for notes uh, it's a service for uh, calendaring and scheduling with people outside your organization Darren, did you see the story? Do you think, um, well, can you make any sense of why RIM are buying this product? I tweeted yesterday, but every time I see a RIM announcement, I kind of think WTF. <laughs> 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 and then I kind of move on. I, I, I don't know what they're thinking. I don't know what they're doing. Um, you know, you're reading the review of a playbooks and, and they're just getting hammered all over creation. And they, they, they bought Gist, right? Um, yeah. They've now bought Tungle. 
Um, I'm still not quite sure what GIST does, and I'm still not sure how or what RIM are thinking by integrating these these products. The, the only thing I can think of is they're trying to buy an ultra cool platform. And um, yeah, Eileen, you you partner with RIM. You you got mm-hmm. any feel for for where they're going with this stuff? Is it just about the cool factor about getting the the you know Generation Y on board, or, or do, do you see them fitting some of these services they're buying into the the BlackBerry platform? Um, I think it's very interesting. I could extrapolate out that it's more in terms of the importance of calendaring and. Um, if you get into the entire collaboration platform and the accessibility of calendaring and email, calendaring was always just an add-on to your email. But what I'm noticing, maybe it's just my lifestyle, but what I'm noticing more and more with people is calendaring is becoming an application in itself, not just as a nice add-on to your email. And the criticality of calendaring interaction and availability is becoming much more well critical. So where they're going to take this, I don't know. Um, but I do think it's very, very interesting because I've just I've had this discussion recently that calendaring is becoming an application in itself, not just as an add-on to email. Yeah. So yeah, we'll see where they run with this one. And I, I think that's very relevant. I think an awful lot of folks, even if they're not in traditional work environments, are beginning to need you know calendaring and scheduling just to share stuff amongst their families, amongst their kids. You know, mm-hmm. um, you know, there's, there's all sorts of ways in which they can bring this together. So it's interesting to to yeah, watch it, it as we go forward. It could be the killer app. You know, you know, the the expression that was raised, the '80s expression, the killer app that everybody simply has to have. So if they can crack this, um, it'll be interesting. Well, remember, uh, RIM have already done a home bez that you installed on the PC and everyone's biz account could connect to it and sync calendars and stuff. So they've already been down that bit on mm-hmm. swing two before the strikeout now. <laughs> <laughs> um, we've already mentioned UK Lug uh, this episode. Uh, there's a couple of user groups that have been announced in the last week or so. We've got I Am Lug coming up for, I think it's probably the third year of I Am Lug, I think, which is uh, 1st and mm-hmm. 2nd of August. They've also got a Tack It On session on the 3rd of August, which is a paid event uh, with some training and stuff going on. There's also MW Lug, um, which is coming up in Milwaukee, uh, 24th, 26th of August. Uh, do you see yourselves going to either of those events, guys? We're, we're um, supporting UK Lug again this year, as, as we've done for the last few years. So going there. Um, we're going to be supporting financially uh, I Am Lug, but we may or may not have an actual presence there. Um, timing's not very great uh, for us. Us Mediterranean people in August. You know? <laughs> Far more fun things to be doing. <laughs> it's Support business me on this one, Eileen. Yeah, it's business critical time of year, isn't it, John? Of course. <laughs> yeah. So, so, so let me get this right. Malta in August or St. Louis in August? Yeah. Yes, there you I, know, go. I, know, I know which one I would pick. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I'm going to be in St. Louis in August. <laughs> GSX are supporting um, I Am Lug, and uh, we're also supporting Pack Lug as well, actually, which is coming up in June. Yep. So, um, yeah, I'm actually going to be at both. Excellent. as well so looking forward to both and looking forward this will be the third year now as well for st louis so it's always it's a the i am log is um always a very good gig 
Uh, there's so, also Auss Aussie Lug seems to be uh, um, yeah. rearing its head. Twenty um, second August, if I remember rightly. Uh, oh, down is it the twenty second of August? Is it? They were talking yeah. about early September. Yeah, they're now. Yeah, in fact, again, date's not good for us. But um, <laughs> yeah, twenty second September is the twenty uh, second August is the date I last heard. Okay. I think both Darren and I are trying to find business justification for being out at Oslag. There must must be a way. Just have to yes. work it out. Yeah. <laughs> um, and just to, to finish us off, a good friend of yours, I think Eileen, Steve McDonough, has announced today a little tool on his blog, which is for graphing mail.box usage, which I, I certainly could have done with about five years ago when I was admining a, a fairly large Lotus environment. So, um, so that's a good tool. There's a link in the show notes if anybody's interested in that. Um, and lastly, um, Symbian announced today they're going to transfer, um, or Nokia, sorry, going to transfer the Symbian software support out to Accenture. Uh, Darren, you mentioned Accenture earlier. Um, the, the kind of the strategy of, of Nokia, particularly after Stephen Elop joined from Microsoft, seems very strange right now. But I, I guess this is their kind of natural response to, to taking on Microsoft Phone 7, is that they're going to have to shift Symbian off to somebody else. Well, I think it looks like, you know, they've got some legs in Symbian and obviously they don't want the cost associated with that. So I think they're transferring it out and are probably giving Accenture a big chunk of money. It's probably less than keeping 5,000 developers on staff. Yeah, so it's, you... it's, it's, it's normal outsourcing, right? Okay, I'm yeah. getting rid of that. Let me outsource it. I'm going to sell all my developers. I'm going to fire them. You can go work for Accenture for 75% of the cost. Bye-bye. Have fun. We're now Windows Mobile 7, and we're now Nokia Join Rim in the completely insane mobile company. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, it's going to be interesting to see how the Nokia thing maps out. I, I, I think it's just completely unfathomable from where I stand right now. How many like... Rim shares do you have, Darren? <laughs> None. <laughs> I... You've been fairly outspoken on Vim since the start of this podcast, Darren, so I'd be shocked if you said yes to that, um, yeah. to that question. Okay, uh, on to our tips. We always ask our panellists to come up with a tip that they can share with you, the listener. Uh, it might be a site, a product, a feature, or something that they can recommend you take a look at. So, Darren, kick us off as usual. What's your tip for this time? So, I have a lot of servers uh, around the planet, and they all have different numbers of minutes on them. And when domain controllers get out of sync, you have trouble logging on. So we looked at the interwebs for an NTP server, the network time protocol servers. And I found a site, pool.ntp.org, in the show notes. And this is a pool of location-based NTP servers. So there's some in Europe, there's some in America, there's some in... Uh, literally every continent has at least 50 servers. And we just build little small Linux servers. We set that Linux server up to hit the pool. That synchronizes the time, and then we just synchronize the Windows servers with our little Linux server, and now all of our time issues are resolved. Beautiful service, free, very, very, very recommended. Sounds excellent. Wonderful. Thank you for that, Darren. And Eileen, what's your tip? Um, my tip actually is where technology invades my personal life. And I do a lot of walking, hiking, swimming, and I have two little applications that integrate all together on my iPhone which is a Withing scale. It's a scale that feeds um, via Wi-Fi to uh, application on my phone. So, But this also integrates with OneKeeper, which is also on my iPhone, so it tracks all my hikes, my runs, etc., etc. It gives me the breakdown 
Um, because it's integrated with my scale, it also gives me estimates of calories burned, fitness levels, etc., etc. So this is where gradually over a period of time, my iPhone actually became an integral part of my health and fitness regime. So does, that's it, with does it tell you when your knees are about to blow out? <laughs> <laughs> no, it didn't. But it was tracking me hobbling down the mountain with a bad <laughs> you Your average speed has just dropped <laughs> 0.5 miles an hour. <laughs> my average speed decreased dramatically once my knees get on top of a mountain. <laughs> <laughs> and, and the Withing scales aren't very, you know, aren't particularly cheap. Are they about 120 pounds in the UK? W- would you say it's worth that expenditure to to get that Wi-Fi functionality? <laughs> If you're into your fit, if you're into your IT and you're into your fitness, yes, um, because it does give you an awful lot of feedback on your progress and on how hard you're actually working. And it also it, the guilt factor when you see it automatically graphed um, on your phone. It's the you know, and then you start to see the graph going the wrong way, and it's like, oh my lord, I got to change that. It's, it has to go down. So yes, I think it's worth. If you're into that, it's and into your fitness, um, then it's definitely worth it. I know, I know a few people who are in the IT industry who have them, and they become just addictive. Sounds a bit worrying to me. Okay, <laughs> thank, thank you for the tip. That's a really good one. Uh, and John, what's your tip? My my tips are uh, much more useful than Darren's. I think mine is a uh, robot lawnmower controllable Excellent. via your iPhone. So this this has just been announced, so it's not available yet, but, you know, watch this space. Um, and, uh, again, there's a link to it in the uh, show notes. It's a GPS-equipped robotic lawnmower that you can control from your iPhone, um, including uh, when you're uh, not at home, so it doesn't have to be actually, you know, it's not a Bluetooth-type. possibly program. go wrong <laughs> Next up, robot chainsaw. (laughs) (laughs) And, uh, of course, what you can do is you can uh, keep track of where it is, probably RunKeeper integration, maybe Eileen, too, Um, (laughs) and uh, start start off your your lawn before you get home. There is is a downside. Oh, go ahead. No, the downside is they're talking about a price range of about $5,000. So you've got to really have a, you know, important enough lawn for you to uh, uh, justify this. I'm wondering how it empties itself as well. Where do you reckon it, it dumps all the grass trimmings? That's going to be <laughs> on your, on your, your neighbour's patch, I think. <laughs> yeah. So what you do is you actually integrate Runkeeper and this robot lawnmower, <laughs> and if the robot lawnmower sees you're not doing enough exercise, it comes after you. <laughs> uh, you can also see how fast the lawnmower is going <laughs> and how many calories. Oh. I have to tell you what, I just put my iPhone onto your lawnmower. We both sit down with a beer and watch it. <laughs> Much more appealing. Excellent. Thank you, John. Thanks for that. I'll look out for it being released at some stage. Um, my tip is something actually I saw on another podcast this week um, and have acquired one myself, which is an origami workstation, which is, is a fabulous product name. It's basically a, a case for an Apple Bluetooth keyboard. 
you think, well, what use is that? Well, a lot of people carry iPads. It's nice to have a proper keyboard for it once in a while, particularly while you know, writing long blog posts or um, you know, reports or whatever. And so it's good to carry around the Bluetooth keyboard as well. It's pretty small if it's in your bag. But the problem is it's, you know, it's a bit of a worry that the keys are going to get knocked off or bashed or whatever. So this is a really nice little um, uh, case for your keyboard. But the neat thing is it folds out and then doubles as a stand for the iPad, uh, which means that then you can sit with the iPad at an angle in front of you, the keyboard in front of it, uh, you're ready to go to write your, your blog post, your articles, whatever. It, it's about $29. Um, it's about £20, I think, in the UK. So pretty good value, really nice case, uh, well worth having a look at. I've got mine on order. I'll let you know how it goes in future weeks. So uh, the link again will be in the show notes for that. Not nearly as fun as yours. Sorry, guys. They, they need to make it look like a Jack Bauer man purse, and then I'll sell tons of it. <laughs> Oh, we'll have to suggest that to the makers. But there's a link in the show notes with a photo, and that it folds up in a really neat way to, to hold it your looks, iPad. It looks cool. Does the iPad actually connect to the keyboard then? No, it doesn't. It just does everything through Bluetooth. Okay, because it looks like it's kind of linked, doesn't it? But I guess not. I guess it's just, just a keyboard. It just sits there behind the keyboard uh, against the uh, the holder. So it works really well uh, from what I've seen. So that's my tip for this week. Uh, I'd like to thank you all for taking part in the podcast. Um, Eileen, do you want to kick us off? How do people track you down if they want to ask you a question afterwards or, or find out more about the products? Certainly. Um, you can go to gsx.com. Um, my blog eileenfitzy.com which does tend to go more into hill walking um, <laughs> or Twitter my Twitter is eileenfitzy awesome. so any of those you can get back to me on any of those methods lovely well thanks for taking part today Eileen look forward to seeing you at UK Lug thank you very much looking forward to it as well excellent and John how do people find you um, well you can get hold of us at um, integrafornotes.com that's integra number four notes.com Okay. Um, and uh, you can get me there at jdg at integrafornotes.com. Um, so those are probably the two best ways. Uh, I'm not a twit, so um, <laughs> <laughs> you're not going to find me there. Excellent. Well, thanks again for taking part today, John. Really appreciated your input. You're welcome. Good to see you all next, next, um, next month. Indeed. Yeah. And Darren, how do people find you? Uh, first things first, Oslug is the 25th and 26th of August in Sydney. Okay. Excellent. Second quick... Second quick thing, Stuart, that was a series of seven blog posts, and I'm sure you <laughs> never did all seven. You promised the world seven blog posts, and you never delivered. I think you got the four, and then you give up. Guilty as charged. I, I keep <laughs> on thinking about writing them, think it's so irrelevant. Like, it was so long ago. Maybe I'll have to get back to them. Um, and I forgot what the question was. Oh, blog.darrenduke.net for all things technically related, although I usually tell you them now in my tip section, so my blog's kind of going downhill rather quickly. <laughs> and for my 140-character rants, usually against Rim these days, it's uh, Darren Duke Allward. Excellent. Thank you, Darren. And I'm Stuart McIntyre. You can find me uh, at my blog at blog.collaborationmatters.com or on Twitter, Stuart McIntyre. Um, finally, as well, we have a giveaway. We have a copy of Michael Sampson's great book on user adoption strategies. Uh, he gave me that while I was in London recently. Um, if you'd like to get hold of that, simply blog about This Week in Lotus, linking to our site. We'll pick one of those posts at random and send a copy of the book to the winner. So uh, if you can do that this week, we'll get it to you next week. So again, thanks to everybody for taking part. I hope you've enjoyed the podcast. And until next week, this was This Week in Lotus. Bye. All opinions expressed during this podcast are those of the participants only and do not necessarily represent those of their employer. This Week in Lotus is sponsored by Audible, the destination for the widest selection of digital audiobooks available worldwide. 
Want to be well read like Duffbert but just can't spare the time to read books on paper? Take an audio book on your commute or whilst walking instead. We've got a special offer for you. Download and listen to a best-selling book every month for just $7.49 a month for the first three months and you can cancel at any time. Pick from over 85,000 audiobooks from business to classics to sci-fi or comedy. Go to thisweekinlotus.com audible for all the details. 